Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning. So, (laughs) this week I've been reflecting a lot for some reason on growing up. And for some weird reason, that reflection has been on these special times of not minding being with big crowds. And if you know me, you know I'm an introvert, you know that I'm shy, you know big crowds are not not my thing. But if there are big crowds, but there's candy, I'm there. And so growing up, In July and September, these were prime months for me to get candy. And you might be thinking to yourself, Halloween is not in either of those months. And it's because Halloween has nothing on our parades. (laughs) You see, the small town that I grew up in, we always did a 4th of July parade, and then we did a homecoming parade, and it seemed to bring the entire town out. Candy was thrown without caution, and I imagine there are probably still people that have scars from getting hit by that candy. But it's something about the floats and the people and the animals and the music that it just seemed like it was a great time. It was a fun time. And so this week, as I I thought about it, I still can remember the exact spot I wanted to get to every time for every parade. You see, in the town that I grew up in, Gaston Street runs north to south, and 6th Street goes east to west. And at the intersection of those two stood our only stoplight. Yeah, only stoplight, yeah. And so if you get there and you get close to that stoplight because the, the parade would go from the west side of town to that intersection and then go south, If you sat there by that stoplight, you got more parade. Well, at least I felt like you got more parade, right? I could could watch them come from the west and then go down south for just a little bit. But there's something about parades that seem to bring energy and excitement to a town. Whether it's a homecoming parade or the Macy's Thanksgiving parade or the Rose Parade, You can picture in your mind what a parade is and how special it can be. Always remember wanting to see who the king and queen were, the homecoming king and queen. Even though that as a kid, it didn't make a difference in my life. And half the time, I didn't even know who they were. Um, But I wanted to see them. I wanted to see the animals. Uh, In fact, I I remember one year we had, uh, growing up, we raised miniature goats for a while. And so we had miniature goats in the parade. Um, I wasn't trusted with walking them in the parade, so we had friends do it. But there's something about seeing people and animals in a parade that brings excitement. And we long to see and experience what is going on. And so whether you're looking to see a homecoming king and queen or Santa or the Snoopy balloon or a float made out of roses... Parades give us the opportunity to be in the midst of a crowd and have our attention drawn to someone or something special. 
And there was once a parade of sorts that drew the attention of pilgrims and residents in the city of Jerusalem. These people had their eyes and attention drawn to Jesus as he made his way into the city just mere days before he died. Today, it's it's commonly referred to as Palm Sunday, the day in which the church, the the global church, commemorates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the week in which he died for our sins. What's really interesting is that all four Gospels record this event. And while we'll be in Matthew 21 today, this week, or even later this afternoon, if you want to look, you can find this story in Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm interested in the historic faith. I'm interested in the early church and the practices that come with that. And so I like the church calendar, knowing the seasons that we are, are in because they're based off the life of Christ. This week is Holy Week, and it refers to the time between Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem and ultimately his death and then resurrection on Easter morning. Robert Weber was a seminary professor that was known for his books on worship and the early church. In a book entitled uh, Ancient Future Time, he mentioned that when the church participates in remembering the events of Holy Week, we find ourselves on a week-long pilgrimage into a personal experience with Christ as he is rejected, crucified, buried, and risen. And by participating, we can learn that we are walking in the way of the cross of Christ. Palm Sunday helps us begin that journey. And in fact, all week long, we have certain events here at Legacy to help us participate in that. Our Seder dinner on Thursday night, our Good Friday service on Friday, and then Easter Sunday a week from today. And so when we participate in these things, we get to Look at who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So, if you haven't already, turn to Matthew chapter 21, and I will begin reading from there. Verse 1 begins with, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, uh, and put on them their cloaks and sat. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, "Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!" Hosanna in the highest. And when he, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. 
as Jesus and his 12 disciples left Jericho, they were previously, previously there. We know this from uh, Matthew 20, where Jesus had just um, been with Lazarus, Lazarus and his family. They, Jesus and his disciples, traveled east towards the city of Jerusalem, and they came to two towns. These towns were Bethany and Bethphage, and they stood on the Mount of Olives. So from Jericho to, to Bethany, Jesus and his companions traveled roughly 17 miles and ascended about 3,000 feet in elevation. So imagine for just a moment 17 miles worth of travel and 3,000 feet in elevation. What kind of conversations were had among the disciples? Uh, maybe they were talking about deep theology. Uh, maybe they were trying to explain all the miracles that they had witnessed. Maybe they were still grumbling at James and John because their mother asked for them to have a good position within Jesus' kingdom. Maybe they were telling knock-knock jokes. I don't, I don't know exactly what they were talking about. But what we do know is that they were going to Jerusalem for Passover. And so maybe the Passover was what preoccupied their mind. But Jesus already knew that he was going there to die. In fact, Matthew highlights in chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, a third time where Jesus foretells his death. I also imagine that Jesus was enjoying his time with his disciples on that journey towards Jerusalem, knowing that the next week had horrible things in store for him, and yet at the same time, had wonderfully glorious things in store. So once they approached Bethphage, Jesus asked two of the disciples to run and go get a donkey and a colt. He even says that if anyone wants to know why they're grabbing these animals, to just say, the Lord has need of them. Donkeys are unique creatures. They're used for all sorts of work, both physical labor but also protecting other animals on a farm. Donkeys are gentle and kind, and they're good companions. The average speed in which a donkey walks is three and a half miles an hour. The average speed of a human is three miles an hour. And so it seems kind of like we're kindred spirits. We like to walk slow. In the ancient world, people walked everywhere, right? It, it's very rare that we see Jesus and his disciples not walking. Their legs were, common, were the common transportation. It was only the rich that rode animals, or it was military commanders and kings that rode animals. Oftentimes, military, oftentimes, military commanders and kings would ride horses as they came into a city to announce that they were conquering that city. And as we've seen in this passage, Jesus rides a donkey as he in enters Jerusalem. Matthew helps us understand this scene just a little bit better by quoting parts of Isaiah 62 and Zechariah 9. In a section where the prophet Isaiah shares the hope of Israel in the future, he writes, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And then the prophet Zechariah says of the coming Messiah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew is using parts of Isaiah 62, 11 and Zechariah 9, 9 to highlight what exactly Jesus is doing when he rides a donkey into Jerusalem. It's no coincidence that uh, it is no coincidence and it is not because Jesus is tired that he's on a donkey. Remember whenever I mentioned that military commanders and kings would come into a, a city on a horse to declare that they are being conquered? It's the most common animal. Horses are the most common animal for, for kings to ride. Kings and generals would ride on a horse because it symbolized conquering, being conquered. But there's also times when we look at Scripture that riding a donkey symbolizes something as well. There are a few passages in the book of Judges and in 1 Kings that show rulers riding a donkey in times of peace. And when a king enters a city on a donkey, it means he brings peace. So Jesus is making a clear statement that he is the prophesied king that brings salvation and peace. Though the disciples were asked to bring both the donkey and its, its foal, its, its young uh, son, it seems that Jesus, based on the accounts of Mark and Luke, only rode on the young male donkey. I don't know how much experience you have with donkeys or with horses, uh, but it takes a great deal of time to break them in and make them comfortable having weight on their back. I remember growing up, my parents had Arabian show horses. I never had to break in a horse. They didn't trust me with them. But I remember just how much time and kind of how scary it was. But this, this young colt, this, this young foal uh, had no training, had not been broken in. And so it's remarkable and maybe even supernatural that Jesus was able to ride and control this untrained donkey as he entered in a, into the city with so many people. Again, being untrained, it would be natural for that donkey, that young donkey, to buck and sway and move about and be flustered. And yet, somehow, Jesus was able to control this donkey as he entered into the city. Jesus presented himself to Jerusalem on a donkey because he desired to bring peace between God and humanity. But there will be a day when Jesus returns and he'll be riding a war horse. As Mindy so eloquently described earlier, for those of us in Christ, we have no fear of Jesus' return. We have the Jesus on a donkey. But for those who do not know Jesus as their personal Savior, their Lord, Jesus will physically return on a war horse. Just read Revelation 19, 11 through 16. When Jesus returns, he will be warned against those who have rejected him and have caused harm. And that's why for us today, we need to respond to the Jesus on the donkey. Let us not wait for the future. Let us trust the king who is seated on the donkey. So, with all of that, you may ask yourself, 
Am I truly relating to Jesus as the king who brings me peace? Maybe even further, you want to to ask yourself, in what ways have I experienced peace with God through faith in Jesus? What tangible and realistic ways in your spiritual life have you experienced a feeling of peace and nearness to God? Maybe this is when you read your Bible. Maybe it's when you pray. Maybe it's when you have a conversation with another Christian. But if you haven't been able to experience peace and nearness, you may need to ask yourself if you are truly relating to the King of Peace. This is Jesus' invitation for us all. But there's more to this story than just a king riding on a donkey. You see, Matthew tells us that as soon as the disciples get back with the donkeys, they put their outer garments on the donkey, kind of like a saddle blanket, and then Jesus sits on the donkey, and they begin riding into Jerusalem. And then other disciples throwing off their outer cloaks and putting it down as a red carpet of sorts as Jesus enters into the city. And then... People are cutting down small palm branches and laying them on the ground for Jesus as he rides this donkey. There are no exact numbers for the population of Jerusalem at this time. Some estimate anywhere from 30,000 to 250,000 people lived in Jerusalem. But when religious travelers or pilgrims came into the city uh, for one of the three required feasts that uh, that the Jews came for, uh, it's possible that the the number in the city could swell up to almost 3 million. And while I'm not certain on the numbers, I do think it's safe to say uh, that as the Passover was taking place, there were a lot of people in the city that were witnessing Jesus coming in. As people gathered around Jesus kind of making this parade of sorts, they began to shout um, to Jesus. It says in verse 9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that can roughly mean save us now or save us we pray. These people were shouting phrases from Psalm 118. In verses 25 and 26 of Psalm 118, it reads, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So the crowd is shouting, Save us, O son of David. Save us, we ask of you. Bible commentator Richard C. C.H. Uh, Linsky stated, in reference to using the term Hosanna, he stated, the enthusiastic multitudes thus acclaimed Jesus as being blessed by Jehovah, not merely with a verbal benediction, but as Jehovah always blesses, with the gifts and treasures implied in the words. And they acclaim Jesus as coming and bringing all the blessings to them and their capital and their nation. Another scholar, Archibald T. Robertson, Robertson said, they are now 
proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, and he let them do it. And yet, as was often the case with the 12 disciples, many in the crowd still must have missed the significance and the weight of all that Jesus was doing. Some of those people uh, recognized, surely recognized, that Jesus was setting up a spiritual kingdom. Others wrongly thought he was setting up an earthly kingdom in that moment. And yet, they seemed to forget or ignored the fact that Scripture, the prophet Isaiah, said that the role of the Messiah would be that of a suffering servant. The crowd was excited for a moment because they wanted an earthly kingdom that did away with the Romans and brought the nation of Israel back to prominence. Blessed indeed was Jesus, and yes, he was going to save his people, but not in the way that many of them thought. As Jesus entered the city, it is highly likely, according to Bible commentator Thomas Constable, that he would have entered through the Sheep's Gate. This gate was in the eastern wall and was north of the temple. It was common for people to bring their sacrificial sheep through this gate because it was closest to the temple. Isn't it interesting that the Lamb of God would enter into that gate so that he could die on behalf of his people? God does not deal in consequences. He is sovereign and supreme, orchestrating all things for his glory and for the sake of those who know him and love him. So it's no coincidence that the Lamb of God entered in through the sheep's gate. Matthew tells us that Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem stirred up the whole city. It caused the people to ask, who is this? Consider again a parade. As a float goes by, or a convertible transports a person, we typically ask ourselves, who is this? We want to know the person or the organization that's being represented. We want to know why they're there. And for many of those in, the, in that large crowd that day, many were asking that very question. Who is this? Warren Wiersbe comments that the people in this large crowd were probably composed of three different groups. He said the first group were the Jews that already lived in Jerusalem. The second group was comprised of pilgrims entering into Jerusalem. And the third group were people that, according to John's account in John 12, had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And with these three groups combining to make this large crowd, it was causing a stir among the people. Of course, there would not be a consensus of who Jesus was that day. Recently, I watched a movie called The Trial of the Chicago 7. And if you're unaware of the movie or the real-life events that, that took place and inspired it, uh, let me tell you, it's a, it's a fascinating movie. It's a fascinating story. It takes place in 1968 when several groups of people uh, make plans to gather in Chicago for, uh, during the Democratic National Convention. And all of these different groups that are coming into Chicago plan on gathering to protest the, Viet the Vietnam War. A riot happens and people are arrested. But as we see this story, we see originally that there are eight defendants at this trial. And you might be asking yourself, well, you just said it's called 
the trial of the Chicago 7, not the Chicago 8. And there was one defendant that, I'm just going to spoil it for you, received a mistrial uh, because he was brought in on false charges and racism and injustice played a, a not a part, it was the part. Um, and it was terrible and it was because I'm on a platform for the Lord, I, I'll just say it's ridiculous, but that's not the word. I want, I want more emphasis on this. Um, but this, this one man who is falsely accused is let go, but the remaining seven go through a trial. But it's interesting. Those remaining seven were from different groups. All three of those groups wanted the same thing, but they wanted to go about it in a different way, and they thought that they should achieve it in different ways. So why do I bring up a movie like this? Well, it's, it struck me as fascinating that in this movie, since those three different groups went about wanting the same thing, but in different ways, their, their views and their ideas not, did not always mesh. In fact, uh, there, there's a scene early on where uh, the group uh, during a recess, they're just uh, yelling at each other, screaming at one another, because they're just not on the same page, and yet they were a part of the same crowd. And so we might see this in that crowd that Wearsby pointed out to us. We see these three groups, maybe even more, but these three groups there at Jerusalem that day, all of the Jews wanted to be delivered and saved. But how they went about obtaining salvation, and even what they thought salvation was, was different from person to person and group to group in that crowd. When the question, who is this, was proposed, the answer comes out in the text. It says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And yet, not everyone in that crowd believed Jesus was a prophet. And in fact, later in the week, as Jesus was rejected and sentenced to die, there were not many people around him advocating for him advocating that he was a prophet or something more. And I imagine because the disciples were with Jesus in this crowd and that there were many who believed Jesus to be more than a prophet, that is a view that Jesus was not just a prophet, but he was the Savior. The disciples knew him to be the promised Messiah. This is what their whole lives we're counting on. Different people within the crowd believed and hoped different things. Some believed Jesus to be a prophet. Some believed him to be the long-awaited king. Others just thought he was a nice teacher, a miracle worker, but they never believed him to be the son of God. And that's the same question that you and I are asked today. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Is he just a prophet speaking for God and pointing us to consider God in our lives? Is he the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah who brings peace to his people? Is he just a man who did some really nice things but isn't truly the son of God? We have to answer this question. Who is Jesus? This past week as I I studied for today, I also looked at art um, for the triumphal entry. And I came across a piece by an artist named Adora at uh, The Project Made New. 
This is a, a slide or an image that you saw as we started this morning. And I think without any words on there, it captures what we're talking about today. This art somehow communicates the question, who is this without a single word on there? And to be honest, I think it represents the lives of people in this room and the lives of people that we interact with on a daily basis. Take, for example, this person. He's walking alongside of Jesus, keeping in step with him. Do you find yourself walking with Jesus? Do you find yourself keeping in step with him? Are you allowing him to lead you where you're going? How is your joy and your peace increasing as a result of walking alongside of Jesus? Maybe you identify with this person. You find yourself so enamored with Jesus that you can't help but stop and fall on your knees and worship him. You recognize that he's your savior and that he died on your behalf. How is your worship and your knowledge of God's goodness shaping your ordinary daily life? Maybe you're this person, running ahead, getting excited about everything in life, but before you know it, you've left Jesus behind. You didn't walk that three miles an hour, but you blazed your own path. Other people or other things have gotten in your way, and you can't see Jesus anymore because you're so far away from him. What might you need to do to return to him? What might you need to do to give up? What might you give up in order to cut through the crowd and come back and walk with Jesus again? Or maybe you're these people standing at the back, curious. You're still trying to answer who is Jesus, but you're not completely sure. What would it look like for you to move one step forward in that crowd to walk a little closer to Jesus? What would it look like to talk to the people around you and ask them, who is this, so that you learn and you begin formulating your own view? Or finally, maybe you're this guy, uh, Lord Farquaad from Shrek. That, that hair is terrible. Like, so, okay, but seriously, uh, so maybe not this guy. Um, but the others that are highlighted, or any of them in this, in this painting or in this this print, where do you find yourself? Maybe you're walking with Jesus, growing in your knowledge of him and enjoying him. Or maybe you have known him for a while and you're worshiping him. Maybe you've been busy and you let everything in life take you away from him. You were once excited, but you got distracted. Or maybe you're still investigating who Jesus is. Wherever you are in this parade, that's okay. Jesus sits with you. He desires for you to know him. And so, today is simple. I don't have a lot of application. I have a question. I, just, I want us to know the story of Jesus coming in. 
I want us to know that Jesus brings peace. I want us to know that this event happened before his crucifixion. But greater than the events, greater than the history, is the answer to the question, who is Jesus? My hope is that you go from here today and that you carefully consider who is Jesus. And then you meditate upon it. So if you already know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, praise God for that. I, I seriously mean that. I know that, that we may throw this term around, praise God, but it's truly what I mean. Whenever we sit with Jesus and we know him as our Savior, that's, that's a work of God. That's an act of God. So praise him for that. So if you do know him, enjoy him. Spend time with him. Grow to be like him. Learn to be obedient to him. Learn to be obedient even in the small and seemingly mundane things. God desires for us to be obedient in our whole lives. And if you don't know who Jesus is today, you can't answer that question. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Ask him to show you who he is. And I know that he will show you. Ask the people that surround you today. If you're in a life group, ask those people. If you're not in a life group, ask a pastor, ask a neighbor. Ask if you don't know who Jesus is. Ask people. Investigate who Jesus is. Jesus is revealed throughout the Bible and shows us exactly who he is. He is faithful to reveal that to us. Jesus is more than a prophet, and he's more than a king. He's our Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God, the lover of our souls, and our good shepherd. Who is this? This is, this is our Savior. I hope that we know that. And this week, as we enter into Holy Week, I hope and pray that we meditate on this fact. And that we come on Thursday, and we come on Friday, and we come next Sunday to enjoy what Jesus has done for us. Because we're confronted with the question, who is this? All we can do is answer it truthfully. Wherever you are, I pray for strength and encouragement and wisdom to live that out. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your care for us. And we thank you that Jesus loves us dearly. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, the story of you entering into Jerusalem on a donkey to clearly say that you are the king that brings peace among humanity and God. I just ask that for those of us in this room who may not know who you are personally, would you reveal yourself to us? Help us to, to trust you, to know you, to enjoy you, to rest upon you. And for those of us in this room who do know you, I ask that we would enjoy you even more than we already are. Help us to consider the peace that you have brought us, all because of your life, death, and resurrection. We admit that sin runs deep, and we are all sinners, for, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
but you brought it upon yourself, Lord Jesus, to die on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Encourage us, equip us, and help us to live into that truth and to know exactly who you are. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.